0: What is up? Cape Christian, Church online. We are so glad that you decided to join us this week. Hey, I feel like it's been too long since I told you that uh, no matter where at in the world, or what part of your car or couch or bedroom you're watching us from, we consider you our church. This is your home, you are our family, and we are so glad that you join us. And so thanks for being a part of our online campus. Uh, Whether this is how you join us every week, or you're just not ready to come back in person, this is why we do what we do. We are here for you, and you matter to us, and you are just as much a part of our church and who we are as anybody who gets here on campus and sits in the seats. And I just want you to know how much we love you, and we pray for you every week. Now, we are going to finish up just a short three-week series called DTR. If you've been with us, you know that DTR refers to defining the relationship uh, we've talked in the last couple of weeks about most of us have had that type of a conversation at some point with a romantic relationship. I told two weeks ago about Pastor Desi and Scott's DTR briefly. Pastor John gave some really good advice of what not to do last week in his DTR with his now wife. Now, before we finish the series and I start my message, I want to say something that I'm really excited about. Start, a lot of times... Um, 30 minutes is just not enough time for us to really dig in and dive into a message or bring some understanding to a specific message or topic. And so this week, we are going to be starting something new that we're going to be doing every week that we're calling bonus content. Uh, So if you go on the app online, you go to our weekly guide, every week there's going to be a link there to bonus content. And what that is is not only are we gonna film the message, but we are sitting down in the studio and filming some bonus content. It's gonna be me, a conversation with at least one other pastor where we can take the conversation a little bit deeper. And we have bonus content for this message. So uh, at the beginning of this week, we're gonna be rolling that out and you can check that out, our bonus content on our app online. And it will even maybe add a little bit more to the message. So now as we, as we jump back into this, week three of our DTR, let me pray, and then we'll see what God wants to say to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person who is behind every screen that will ever see this this video, this message. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you would speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would knock down any obstacles, any distraction, any hurt, any distance, any technology problems, God, and that you would speak from heaven through your word to our hearts and that we would uh, apply your word, that we wouldn't be just hearers only, but doers as well. And we would get to experience the full life and the transformation that you have for us when we apply your word and we take you at your word. I thank you for every person watching and listening, that you would be with them, that they would sense your peace and your presence. God, that you would provide for them and that they would know that you are never gonna leave them, you're never gonna uh, forsake them, even uh, in the hardest and craziest of times. We're here for you, Jesus, and you alone in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, type in your chat, amen. That's what's up, dilly dilly, what's going on? I see those keys going, okay, I really don't. But I hope you're joining us. If you've never joined the chat before, just click the link and you can type in your name and you can join the chat as well. Now, week three DTR, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to think back uh, on the first time that you let someone of the opposite sex know that you had feelings for them. Now, probably for most of us, this happened sometime between fifth, and eighth grade, a little bit later for some, a little bit earlier for others. Now, it's an interesting development because early on, when we were in first or second grade, we knew there was a difference between boys and girls. We had seen enough Disney movies to know that boys and girls will or should or eventually like each other. But instead of thinking about the opposite sex with affection, we just thought, they're gross. Uh, We kept our distance. We didn't want to get cooties. And then we got a little bit older And we find that we're strangely attracted to these gross creatures. Um, You have some feelings, but you really don't know what to do with what's going on inside of me. But instead of saying you're gross, something changes, we go, I must hurt them. And so we express our uh, affection by hitting them or causing some sort of bodily harm. And this goes both ways with girls and boys. But then finally it happens. Somewhere along the lines, we go from they're gross to I must hurt them to, I've got to get me one of those. Uh, I experienced this firsthand with with my best friend, Brock, growing up in middle school. He was the first among our circle of friends to make the transition from their gross to, I think I like them. And so um, all of a sudden we would notice some changes and he would be talking to these girls and, and we were like, man, what are you doing? You're talking to her, we don't talk to them. You're writing notes and you're sending letters. You're spending your hard earned tasseling money on her. And by the way, what is that smell? Are you wearing cologne? Is that Old Spice? Is that Brute? Bro, Brock, it's the girls. You are embarrassing yourself. Well, little did we know that Brock was just ahead of the game and eventually we all would make this transition to Old Spice and Love Notes and we would go to great lengths To express ourselves and our undying eighth grade, ninth grade love. Well, as we looked a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a scripture in Luke chapter nine where Jesus was having a DTR with us, those of us who would want a relationship with him. We've kind of talked about this scripture every week and I want to dive back into it because there's something else in here that I think really helps us kind of finish up this series. We're going to go back to it and we're going to read out of the English Standard Version this week and I want you to see here what Jesus said when he was defining the relationship with us. He said, if any of you would come after me we talked about following me a couple of weeks ago. Same language, same context. He's saying, come after me. He says, then let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So Jesus essentially says, there's three things you got to do. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Well, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. This week, I want to talk about these three words right here where he says, if you would come after me, if you would go after me, if you would give me everything you got. Because Jesus knew that in our lives, no matter when in history, no matter where on the planet, that we are all going after something. We're all going after something, we're in pursuit of something, and so my question at the beginning of this message for us is, what are you going after? What is it that you're in pursuit of? What is it that you have your affections on? Now, you may not have thought about it this way, but I wanna reveal something that is true about all of us, that your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts and your strongest passions. Think about it for a minute. Whatever consumes your mind, whatever you're passionate about, whatever your thoughts are, your life is pursuing that. Your time, your energy, your money, your thoughts, your emotion is going towards that. So what direction are your thoughts and your passions taking your life? That's a really great question for us to think about. So I wanna draw our attention to that phrase, come after me. Now. In the language that Jesus was speaking and writing, this was a phrase that was commonly used in the context of a, remote, of a romantic relationship. Jesus is describing the passionate pursuit of someone you love, which for many of us is familiar. So the best way to understand what Jesus is wanting from us as followers uh, is to compare how we pursue him to how we would or have maybe some of us pursue someone with whom we would like to have a romantic relationship. Now. When it comes to romantic relationships, whether it's more recently or currently or somewhere in our past, high school, college, whatever, most of us, many of us, have done some really irrational, really illogical things in the passionate pursuit of someone we love. In fact, when I say that, probably many of you think of some crazy things of driving through the night, sending handwritten letters. I mean, most of you have stories for days of the lengths you would go. And it's a pursuit that can easily consume our thoughts, it can consume our resources like time and energy and money, our sleep, and definitely our energy as well. And Jesus uses this intentional language because that's what he's looking for from a follower when he says, hey, if any of you would come after me. Now, in our world, there's something that's really fascinating, kind of a phenomenon for our time in history. The relationship that we tend to be the most passionate about pursuing is that of a romantic one. That is the the one that we hear the most about. We are, in fact, our culture, our society, we are surrounded constantly with messages that emphasize romantic love as the ultimate experience. Think about that for a second. We as a culture have kind of knowingly or unknowingly adopted this idea that romantic love is the ultimate experience. In fact, you don't have to look far to see this. I mean, pursuing love is the subject of countless books, it is the plot line of innumerable movies. It is the theme of almost every song. And I, I, will you. Near, far, you are. I give her all. You're a Whitney Houston fan, Celine Dion, Stevie Wonder, the Beatles, the Beach Boys. Maybe you took your love cues from NSYNC or Backstreet Boy. By the way, did we ever figure out what it was that Meatloaf wouldn't do for love? Well, anyway, it doesn't really matter. You could go on and on about love songs throughout the decades. I mean, even in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, um, we have some great songs. But the truth is, you don't have to look far for stories of crazy length gone to for romance of love. In fact, I heard one actually pastor was sharing a story about how he had let his roommate borrow his car and he missed his girlfriend so much, much that he rode his bike 80 miles just to see his girlfriend on a weekend and she was coming back at the end of the week. We will go to great lengths for romance or love, driving through the nights. I mean, we've done crazy, we spent crazy amounts of money, we've done irrational things, why? Because we would do anything for love. Well, Jesus wants uh, us to understand that following him as a pursuit, following after him in pursuit is something that requires everything that we have as well. And so as he's defining the relationship, he actually gives us a picture of what he had in mind. He wanted to paint a picture. He tells a story of what he was thinking when he invited us to come after him. In Matthew chapter 13, he describes it this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, talking about his kingdom and what it's like to pursue him, is like a treasure hidden in a field. There was a man who found it, and when he did, he went and hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. See, the truth about this is Jesus is like this treasure. And he brought the kingdom of heaven. He bought the kingdom of heaven. And so as we talk about pursuing Jesus, I wanna push pause for a second. I I wanna answer a question. Why would I pursue Jesus? Why does this matter? Well, there's several reasons. First of all, here's what I can tell you. I don't know the circumstances of your life sitting behind that screen, but many of us are looking for purpose in the midst of this pandemic. Many of us are looking for peace in the middle of chaos. Many of us are looking for joy in the middle of hard times or loss. We're looking for provision when our job or our government isn't cutting it. Can I tell you that Jesus, our savior, our creator, he is the one who offers all those things. And so some of you, Jesus is the answer you've always been looking for and you have continued to come up empty looking for what this world has to offer. And the whole time Jesus is saying is if you would just come after me, I'm everything you're looking for. The other reason is this. Because Jesus loves you to pieces. When when he tells a story about a treasure, do you know who Jesus' treasure is? His treasure is you. His treasure isn't any other creation. It's not any belief system. Jesus' treasure, when he went all in on his treasure in the kingdom, he only had you in mind. He was thinking of you. The story of Jesus is that he had everything. He was God in heaven. Yet he stepped out of heaven, gave up his sovereign power, gave up his deity, came and lived as a creation among his creations, only for most of them, most of us not to recognize him, many of them to misunderstand him, to mistreat him, to use him. Yet all the while he loved the unlovable, He invited those who had been left out and uninvited. He included the outsiders. He touched the dirty, the shamed, and the untouchable. He befriended the misfits. He fed and provided his side. He fed and provided for the other side. He was all inclusive. And even though he was mistreated, misused, abused, misunderstood, taken advantage of, betrayed, he already went ahead and forgave everyone who would ever hurt him, betray him, misunderstand him, even to the point of loving and serving and washing the feet of his enemies. He lived a perfect life. He died a brutal death. And he stood in place for you and for me, for every mistake, every sin that we would ever commit so that we could once again be in right relationship with God. Why? There was only one reason he did all of that. Not so that you would owe him. No, no, no. Because he loves you that much. He loves you that That's what he would do for love. Jesus was the original. I would do and did do anything for love. If if you read in Psalm 39, David gives this great poem of how the Bible says that God, before he even formed you in your your mother's womb, he knew you, he knit you together, and, and he thinks of you, and his thoughts are too gracious and too numerous to think about. He thinks of you more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. He is just daft in love with you because you mean everything to him. It's why he left heaven. Because you were worth it, even as you are right now, even with all of your flaws, even with the mistakes you brought into this world. So because when Jesus had a DTR with you, when he wanted to say, I want to show you where we stand, his conclusion was that you, whoever you are behind that screen, whatever your name is, you are dearly loved just as you are, and you were and are worth dying for. To the point that he would pay for all of your mistakes in hopes that one day you would choose him too. He did it not even with the guarantee that you would ever even give a rip or pay attention or even think about who he was. He just did it in hopes that you would understand how much he loves you and that maybe one day you would choose him. And it's with this in mind, it's that the Bible tells us, 1 John chapter four, Jesus the disciple John says, we love only and because he first loved us. Our love is the response to his love. We do because he did. his treasure is you. His treasure is me. And because he loved, we can respond to that love. And so he tells this story. I love this picture in Matthew 13. He tells this story of this guy who finds his treasure in the field and then he goes away, doesn't tell anybody and he, he sells everything so he can buy the field. Now this would have been common in Bible times because uh, in those times that this was written, people would often bury their savings in the ground. The the burying in the ground was considered a safe place, especially during times of like war or government takeover or upheaval. And so it would not have been uncommon for someone to bury their treasure and then uh, in the ground and then go away to war and be killed while away at war. And so Jesus describes this scenario where years later this hired hand is working this field and he discovers a buried treasure chest while plowing. And so he stops, he's like, what is this? Digs it up, brushes it off, (laughs) opens the lid and he literally can't believe his eyes. There are thousands of dollars worth of precious gems just glistening and glimmering in the sun. His heart beats and pounds with excitement, and he quickly reburies it, puts it like it was before, and he just continues working the whole while, carefully plotting out, knowing exactly what his course of action would be. He's desperate to buy the field, so the treasure will be his. So that evening he goes and liquidates all of his assets. He sells everything, his house, his oxen, his car, everything. Now imagine being one of his friends or in his family. You would think this guy has lost his mind. They begin to talk. They think he's lost his mind. It just doesn't make sense. Why would you go sell everything for the stupid field? But the truth is, when you know what's in the field, this was the best investment that he ever could have possibly made. Why? because he wasn't just getting a field, he was getting the treasure. And when we discover the life and the relationship that we can have with Jesus, even in in spite of how crazy this world can be, we too can discover it is the best secret treasure investment we could ever make with our lives. And so we're to come after him like this man pursued the treasure. In the moment, everybody would have thought the man was crazy. But then all of a sudden, when he shows up with his treasure, It looks like he was the one who knew something no one else did. Jesus is saying, a relationship with me, faith in me, my kingdom coming after me is like that. And so I want you to imagine it this way. Imagine that there's like a race for your love. Imagine that all the loves of your life are competing in this race to see who wins first place. So it's Jesus, it's your spouse, it's your kids, maybe a best friend, a fun uncle, or whatever the case may be. And they're all lined up on the starting blocks and Jesus' heart, his idea that he's saying when he's saying, come after me, his idea isn't that he comes in first. Some of you thought, I was like, oh, Jesus be first. Actually, what Jesus is saying, if you dig into this, is that he wants there, to, if there's a race for your love, he doesn't want to be first. He wants to be the only one on the track. He isn't saying, I want to be first. He's saying, I don't want there to be a second. Some of you are like, well, that doesn't make sense. How, what about everybody else? Why? Because here's what Jesus knows, and this is a part of that secret treasure you discover. When Jesus is, is first, when he's the only one on the track, everything else does fall into order and it aligns itself and he has a perfect way that that works. So he's not saying don't love anyone else. He's not saying don't have a spouse. He's saying when I am the only one that you're focused on, all of that makes more sense and you learn how that works. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about fans versus followers. A fan is somebody who tries to make Jesus one of many. Yeah, I love Jesus too. Some fans may even will try to make him the first of many. But when Jesus had the DTR, when he defines the relationship, he makes it clear. He wants to be your one and only. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples to help you maybe understand what Jesus is saying. Imagine this for a second. Imagine that maybe while you're defining the relationship, maybe determining the level of commitment with your significant other, you make it really clear where you stand. You are all in. You say, I am giving you my whole heart. I want nothing more than to spend the rest of my life with you. I am in. Now imagine you say those words that are just heartfelt, and now your significant other looks across the table and says something like, well, you know, I just, I really love you too. I am willing to commit to you for the rest of my life. Let's take this to the next level. But I do just have one condition. I still would like to be able to see other people. What's interesting is nobody wants to be in that relationship. And that question in that example only even exposes some of our selfishness, because some of us, we want somebody to commit all of them to us, but we want to keep our options open, relationally and with Jesus. Or here's another imagine, kind of helping you understand what Jesus is talking about in this story. Imagine that after you have the DTR talk, you're like, I'm committed to my girlfriend. And so you decide, I'm going to carry my girlfriend's picture in my wallet. And so as soon as you open it up, there's your girlfriend's picture. She opens it up. She's like, oh, that is so sweet. But imagine that right behind that picture are the pictures of your last three or four or five girlfriends right underneath her that you've dated. Now, as soon as your girlfriend discovers that, if you don't know this, you, you are going to have a problem. Because why? She doesn't want to be a reminder that she's fifth in line and that there's other girls and it's not enough for her to be first or at the top. She's gonna insist on being the only. And I don't think that's too much to ask. And Jesus, he's just essentially asking for the same thing. He wants to be on the throne of your heart. Let me give you another scenario. Imagine. For a second, this week you you walk into let's say a restaurant. Let's call it Bonefish. Uh, that's a restaurant near here. I, I go there with my wife sometimes. Imagine you go to Bonefish Grill restaurant and you see me sitting at a table having a candlelit dinner with a woman who is not Rebecca, who is not my wife. Which, by the way, would never happen. But imagine you do, and you come and you confront me, which I hope you would, and you say, and you say, I can't believe what's happening, Pastor. What are you doing? And my response to you is, Oh, don't worry about it. I'm on a date with this beautiful woman. And she's just amazing. But it's okay because my wife knows she's back home and she knows she comes first. Now, imagine that you decide my wife needs to know. So you're like, Rebecca, you're never going to believe what happens. You let her know. And when I come home from my date, do you think that my wife's response would be, hey, honey, did you have a good time with your date and the other lady? And then she comes and gives me a big kiss and says, I don't mind if you see other people as long as I'm the most important to you. Not a chance, honestly, even just using that example makes me feel so uncomfortable. It just, I feel like, ah, I can't even imagine it. I was doing the run-through and Pastor Desi was in there and her and my wife were close and she was getting visibly mad. She did not like this example. Why? Because it's not right. No, I I can't go out with somebody else and be like, it's okay, my wife knows I'm committed. No, I it's not okay. Why? Because I pledged all of myself to her. And here's the, here's the truth. She wouldn't respond in a way that that's like, no way, I want to be your one only. That's not because she's insecure. It's not because she's possessive. Because over 15 years ago at our wedding, I pledged all of my love, all of my heart, all of my devotion, all of my affection to her and only her. She wants to be my one and only, and I wanna be her one and only. And it's that exclusivity that makes love and romance so deep and so rich and so unique. Something's value is found in how rare it is. Something's intimacy is found in how exclusive it is. Let's give one more metaphor. It's like the man and the woman. Who've been dating for quite a while, things are getting serious, and she wants to get married. She's like, I'm ready, you know, put a ring on it. And he doesn't, he loves her, he doesn't want to lose her, but he doesn't know if he wants to get married. And he's afraid that if he makes that kind of a commitment, it might require too much of him, or somehow he's going to miss out on something better. And so he makes this suggestion. He thinks, I know, why don't we just move in together? What is he saying? Well, the translation of that is simply, "How about I get all the benefits of being married without having to make the commitments and sacrifices of marriage?" It's kind of like saying, "I want to take all of that, but only give some of me." Again, it's why it, it's why waiting is the best way, not just because of sin, because. Intimacy and that that closeness, that security that so many of us are looking for in our relationship with Jesus and in romantic relationships is only found in exclusivity. And it's why God gave us the way he did for a reason. Not because he wants to tell us that we're wrong and we're sinners, it's because he's like, this is the best way. It's the equivalent of us saying that, that example I just gave you is basically the equivalent of saying, I will follow you Jesus as long as things are good and you hold up your end of the deal and I'm gonna follow you just as long as you don't ask too much of me, why? Because so many of us are an obstacle in our relationship with God is just fear. Our biggest fear about going all in with Jesus is that somehow we're gonna miss out. In fact, this has become such a common term in our culture, FOMO, I don't know if you've heard it, F-O-M-O. It just literally stands for fear of missing out. Somehow we've made it okay and we want the pleasure without any risk or pain. We want to enjoy what's available, but we don't want to have to make the sacrifice. We want all the benefits, but we don't want to have to make the commitment. And it's why romance in our, in our culture is broken. And it's why that's not translating well to our relationship with God, because it's, I want all of you, but I only want to give some of me. I want to be your one and only, but I want to keep my options open. I want all the benefits, but I don't want to make the commitments and sacrifice. It won't work in a marriage. It won't work in a relationship and it won't work with Jesus. And we, I think sometimes are afraid to passionately pursue Jesus with our whole Wholeheart, because we know that if we make that kind of a commitment, like we're putting ourselves totally on the line, and it will require our time, it will require our energy, it will require our money. But I want to point you back to the parable because this is so remarkable if you look at this man's response. Notice in the parable when he finds the field and he sells everything to get the field, once he had the treasure. Did you notice his demeanor? Did you notice his response? Was he like, well, I guess this is going to cost me everything. But Celine Dion said, this is the way I should do it. Whitney Houston says this. No, that wasn't just watch. Notice his response. When he finds his treasure, it wasn't in his sorrow or in his treachery. Or like, I guess I got to get married. No, this is watch his response. It says in, in verse, uh, verse 44, it says, then in his what? His joy type, joy, joy, joy. His joy, he went. He's like, I got it, I found it, I'm gonna sell everything. His response was joy when he found all that he had and bought that field. Why? Because he knew what he was getting. A relation, this is such a great picture of what the DTR relationship with Jesus is like. There's so much joy, it's like a hidden treasure and it won't make sense, it will seem irrational, it will seem delusionary, why? Because love seems that way, and and following Jesus in a world that doesn't understand, they won't get it, but it will be like a treasure. He says, it's like a treasure and you go sell everything. Now, the verse we've been talking about, Luke chapter two, I wanna kinda end this message in the series with just pointing out the first two words of this verse because they're really, really important. I wanna remind you all that everything we've been talking about for three weeks, it's not a command. It's an invitation. Watch how Jesus starts this. Remember, everybody was saying, we're a bit with Jesus. And he says, if anyone would come after me. Notice that first word, if, if, if. This indicates that there's a choice in the matter. We learned early on that one of the most basic truths about love is that love cannot be forced. The minute it's forced, it's not love. It's not, it, it's abuse. It's misuse. It's manipulation. And so Jesus says, if you don't have to do this, he leaves the choice of you. He died for you. He lived for you. He came for you. Nonetheless, he created you. But he leaves the choice up to you. And then my favorite part about the invitation, my favorite part about the gospel is the next word in this. Who is it that Jesus invites to come after him, to follow him? He says this, if... Anyone, anyone. Who can come after Jesus? Anyone. Who can follow Jesus? Anyone. Who is it that can give their best shot? Anyone. Yeah, but pastor, I'm behind the screen. You don't know my story. You know what? I take Jesus at his word. He said, if anyone, he didn't say if the Jews or if the males or if the black people or if the Democrats or if the Republicans, he said, if anyone. And when Jesus says anyone, you know what he means? Anyone. Sexual past, anyone. Ex-con, anyone. Recently divorced, multiple times divorced, anyone. Republican, anyone. Democrat, anyone. Libertarian, anyone. Alcoholic, anyone. Addict, anyone. Hypocrite, anyone. Hurt by the church, not even sure what I think about all this, Anyone anyone. Jesus invites anyone. And anyone can choose to follow Jesus. But not without giving up everything. He wants to be the one and only. And it's important to understand that when you choose Jesus, his grace doesn't just simply invite you, his power doesn't simply invite you, but it actually teaches you how to do it. Why would I even want to do this? For all the reasons I just mentioned. Peace, joy. He came, he lived, he died, he did it for you. And when Jesus explains that he doesn't want to share your affection with anyone. He isn't just saying how he wants to be loved by you. He's also showing and saying how he loved you. The best picture I can think of is my grandma Marie Demel, the matriarch of our family. When I think of this, I'm so grateful that I have this as a picture. This is my grandma Marie. She died when she was 91 in 2016. She was the most incredible human I've ever known, closest to God, spent hours in prayer, the nicest person. I think it had been decades since she'd sinned. I mean, she just oozed Jesus, oozed love. She was the most amazing person to be around. Well, let me tell you about my grandma Marie. She way outlived my grandpa. My grandpa had some health health issues and so he died in 1995 at the age of 71. So my grandma outlived him by 21 years. She never remarried, never even thought of it. As she would continue to get older and was retired, she would sometimes speak of missing grandpa, but she would frequently say, I'm ready to go home, meaning home is in heaven. But as long as I'm here, God still has more for me to do. I remember her saying that when she was 77 and 80 and 85 and even 90, I'm ready to go home. But as long as I'm here on earth, God still has more for me to do. She said that until her last day, even ministering to and loving the nurses who took care of her. We knew that grandpa was the love of her life, She was very committed to him. Years and years they were married. But when she spoke of going home to heaven, I never once heard her say, I'm ready to go home and be with Arnold. She always said this, I'm ready to go home and be with Jesus. Jesus was the love of her life. Jesus was always number one. He was the only one on the track. He was everything to her. And because of that, everything else lined up. And then in 2016, four years ago, at the age of 91, she went home to be with Jesus. She couldn't wait to spend forever with Jesus. I know, yeah, Grandpa Arnold was there too. I wanna read you a couple sentences that was written in her obituary to give you a picture and my example of what this looks like lived out. This is what was said of 91 years worth of life of one of my favorite people on the planet. Her passions were her family, and her Lord, Jesus Christ. She spent countless hours praying, reading her devotional, and studying her marked up Bible. Her love for God was inspiring. It was infectious. And her love for genuine concern for others was also infectious. For Marie, her relationship with God and the church was her life. See, my grandma was a fan of the Huskers. She was in love with her family but she was a follower of Jesus. And I would love to give you the same opportunity that she took advantage of years ago to go all in with Jesus. I'm gonna ask you the question I asked at the beginning. What or who are you going after? You too can have that set about. You too can have that life. And here's what I have found in my journey, that the more of myself I surrender of God, the more of him I experience in my life. So if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, begin this journey. You can click in the chat, just say, I want to give my life to Jesus and I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And we're gonna connect with you. There's a host of team uh, that will answer questions, pray with you, answer questions. We have a lot of ways to get you connected and help you on this journey. But some of you, you have been waiting your whole life to start this journey or go all in. And I can't think of a better reason and a better time Better reason than Jesus and a better time than right now. In a minute, our team is gonna play another song and I would encourage you to sit and wait a minute and listen to the words of the song and absorb and spend it with God. But if you wanna just say, I want this, I want this. Pastor, pray with me. Just click that banner right now and and I want you in your heart or in your own words to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you loved me. I believe that you came and lived and died for me. I believe that I am your treasure. I've made mistakes. I don't have it all together, but I wanna go all in. I wanna come after you. I wanna follow you. Will you forgive me of my sins? I believe you came for me. Will you give me your spirit? And will you help me to follow you? Help me to be everything you made me to be. In Jesus' name.